start into a sermon series here for the next four or five weeks about Christ in the Old Testament. And it just stirs my heart when I think about the Bible. The Bible, the Word of God, a living book, a book that was written by many, many different authors. When you start digging in and trying to count it all up because there were different Psalms, most of them were David, but many of them were written by many other different people. And then you look at all the different books, 66 books of the Bible, there, over hundreds of years, yet it never contradicts itself, it fulfills itself, it, it complements itself, and it really is a narrative in and of itself from the very beginning until the end. Genesis and Revelation are almost companion books. Genesis is God's original design and mankind messed it up. Revelation starts showing how mankind messed it up and God puts it back together like it's supposed to be. And so with all of that said, we see the story of Jesus Christ throughout the entirety of the Old Testament. And this series will probably just really hit the tip of the iceberg, honest truth, of where we could go and what we could see about Christ in the Old Testament. But this morning I want to preach a sermon to you. One of the most unique titles I've ever come up with, Get Your Finger Out of My Spaghetti. Look at your neighbor and say, Get Your Finger Out of My Spaghetti this morning. I was thinking back, I guess going back home last weekend uh, caused me to reminisce or go back down memory lane, but I was thinking about glass bottles of Pepsi. Does anybody remember that? Glass bottles of Pepsi. Oh, hallelujah. And, and the Pepsi tastes so much better in that glass, doesn't it? I see some people shaking their heads. But I remember at the top of the valley where we lived, there was a little store called Wiley's um, Store. And a lot of guys would go, older gentlemen would go hang out in the evenings and they'd whittle and they would talk, you know, and they'd, they would drink their, their uh, Coke and Pepsi and whatever they did and talked and stuff. But I would go up there every once in a while with my, my father and uh, there was a little Pac-Man game in there and we'd put quarters in and play the Pac-Man game. But I remember getting the Pepsi Cola and peanuts, salted peanuts. And, and you didn't drink the Pepsi and eat the peanuts. No, no. You pour the, pe the peanuts. Is it, anybody else? I have a witness in the house this morning. I, I, I tell you what, I feel revival right there. Everybody's like, yeah, good on that. You remember that. Pouring the peanuts right there. Pour it into the bottle, right? And then you would, would drink those salty peanuts down into the Pepsi. And it was a great taste. It doesn't work well in the plastic. Doesn't work well in a cup, but something about in that bottle, you'd pour that in there. You, you know, you, you think about that, and, and you think that pouring that into the Pepsi would mess up a good thing, but it actually made it better, didn't it? But I, I thought of another example that's not so glorious and not so, uh, so exciting this morning, and it did mess up a good thing. I, I, I took myself back to the uh, seventh grade. Think about, some of you don't want to think about seventh grade. I think it was either seventh or eighth grade, but I think it was probably seventh grade. And you picture the little, little Greg Payne of the seventh grade, what a blessing he was, and walking around the little Pocahontas High School. But I thought back to seventh grade, and, and, and I thought, you know, I was very fortunate. I, I really was. I, I, I was never that I can remember ever really bullied. I mean, I had some older cousins and, th you know, things like that from time to time that's typical. Didn't have any older siblings. 
But fortunately at school, I was, wasn't bullied and that I can ever really remember. Except there was this one time. And it goes back to about seventh grade, and, and you know my love for food and things, but you can picture little Greg going through the cafeteria line, and, and they scooping on. We had spaghetti that day, and they scooped it on. And I remember walking out of the line and going to sit down, and this kid whose last name was Grub, he was one of my cousin's friends, and he was... Probably 11th grade. So I'm 7th grade. This was a 7th through 12th school. There was only 240 kids in the whole school. 7th grade through 12th grade. But he was probably 11th grade. And he was coming a different direction. And he stuck his snuff-laced finger, no doubt, because all those boys dipped snuff. He dipped, put his finger, that dirty snuff-laced finger, into my spaghetti. Now, I don't remember any rest of the story. I'm sure that I didn't eat the spaghetti because I'll tell you, to this day, sometimes I won't even drink after my own wife sometimes. So I'll tell you, I didn't eat the spaghetti. But I can't remember the rest of the story. I didn't tell on him. I mean, you didn't do that either. (laughs) But I probably went and dumped the spaghetti into the trash can. And uh, he messed up a good thing. With his little finger into my spaghetti. He messed up a good thing. And that's what I want to talk about this morning. Messed up a good thing. Can you think back with me. If you think about the garden of Eden. That God had created. All the beauty that must have been there. As I thought about that this week. A place of perfection. A beautiful place. I thought about Skyline Drive. You know that came to mind. All the beauty that we see out there. When we walk or hike. I mean, sometimes you might be walking and hiking and the person with you, you might say, hey, come on up here and look at this. You know, hurry it up. Let's look at this. But all that beauty that is on Skyline Drive. And then I thought about the Great Smoky Mountains, you know, and you see those beautiful mountains and all. And this time of year when we see the the foliage around us, but all of that would probably even pale in comparison To what the Garden of Eden must have looked like. An area that had been untainted, untouched by mankind at all. The beauty that must have been there is really probably incomprehensible to our minds. A place where there were no weeds. The place where there was no mowing grass. Oh, praise the Lord. Not that I mow grass, but praise the Lord, no mowing the grass. No laboring No toiling, right? Because mankind was not under the curse at that point in time. So it wasn't like it is now when we fix up a field or you fix up a garden or you do something in your lawn, you have to stay after it because we're under the curse of sin. And if you don't keep working it, the weeds or or, or thorns or thistles or any number of things will take over that area but there was no laboring there was no toiling there was no sweat of the brow in the garden of eden it was a place of perfection untainted by mankind and untouched by the curse of sin we cannot imagine this place of garden of eden there were no childbirth pains in the garden of eden we see that the curse is what brought about that awful process of childbirth and let me tell you if you've ever been through that it is tough 
They give you a little couch you pull out to sleep in while your wife is, is in labor and you have to stay in that hospital. It, it, it's tough, but there was none of that <laughs> in the Garden of Eden. In fact, there was also no death in the Garden of Eden. No death, no dying. Now, that would be awesome in and of itself, right? We could handle all that other stuff if it would, if it would just be that no one would leave us. Those people that we love so dearly, if, if death would just not be on the scene. But all through the Old Testament, we see the phrase, then he died, then he died, then he died. And, and it was all the result of the fall of messing up a good thing, the curse of sin that came upon this world wasn't God's intention. It wasn't the expression that God wanted. God wanted perfection. He wanted relationship. He wanted a people that he could commune with and that they would live without pain and without death forever and ever with him. But that's not what happened. Sin, if I could say it this way, put its ugly finger into the mix and messed things up. It messed everything up. And let me just say this morning that if someone ever says to you, why does God allow this or why does God do that? We, theologically, we need to understand that the pain and the suffering and the death that we see in this world is not God's plan. Nor did God cause it, but it was sin. It was sin. And God has put a plan in place, a remedy in place through Jesus Christ. And as we see in Revelation, he will, one day there will be a reckoning and a judgment. And there will be all things put together and created and recreated new. So we can't blame God, nor can we let friends or family or neighbors take that path of blaming God for the bad things that are happening in life. But first and foremost, we should embrace the salvation that comes through God who made a way from the very beginning, who began talking about that way of Christ from the very beginning. Not only did sin mess up a good thing, but me sin messed up a good person. Sin messed up a good person. Can you imagine that after God had created all these beautiful things, he gets to the pinnacle of his creation and he wants to create someone to have fellowship and communion with him. Someone who is greater and more superior than the animals. Do I need to say that again this morning for this society that we live in? Humanity, we are not animals. We are created in the likeness and in the image of God. We are greater. In fact, God told Adam to name the animals and he told Adam and mankind to rule over the animal kingdom. We are not animals. We are created in the image and the likeness of God. And so God gets to that point where he's creating Adam, the pinnacle of his creation. God takes the dust of the earth and molds and fashions Adam. A man who was no doubt perfect in every way. The first man, again, untouched and untainted by uh, by sin, a, a design of God. And then God breathed the very breath of life into Adam. And when God breathed into Adam, the Bible said man became what? A living soul. The animals do not have the breath of God in their 
lungs. The animals do not have eternal souls on the inside of them. But we who are created in the likeness and image of God, we have an eternal soul that will live forever someday either in heaven or in hell. God breathed his breath of life into us and created that eternal soul that is within mankind. And then Adam began to live, starting naming the animals and doing what God was telling him to do. But God looked, and let's look at Genesis 2.18. We're looking at God's design here, the foundation of everything of, that we live in. Genesis 2.18, And the Lord God said, It is not good that man should be alone, but I will make a helper comparable to him. And God took a rib out of Adam, and he began to form Eve. He began to form Woman, Adam looked at her and said, whoa, man, woman. And they named her Eve, the mother of all living things. But God created, this is God's design. Let me stop right here and let me talk very delicately, but things that are very important for us as the church to remind ourselves of the fundamentals. Gender, gender, there are only two. There are only two. There's a list now of, I don't know how long the list has gotten these days, but, but when we study the Word of God, gender, male and female. God created male, God created female, God created male under a, a design for men to be men. He created women in a divine design for women to be women. And those roles complement each other, Right? And they help each other. And this is God's design. Say amen this morning. Male and female. God created. And I don't think we should apologize for that. I don't think we should apologize. Now, we don't mean to be mean. Right? I'm not saying be mean. We don't need to be hateful. We don't need to make fun. We don't need to make jokes. We, we need to understand that we're dealing with real people, with real issues. But we should not apologize for the word of God, male and female. Man and woman. Then God's design, as you read through there, was for the man and the woman to come together, bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh, man and woman to come together in the institution of marriage. Amen. And can I say this morning, we should not apologize for the institution of marriage. Amen. That is God's design, yes, it, is. it is God's plan. And marriage is between a man and a woman. You can read all through these passages in scriptures, but it said that a, a man shall leave his father and mother, and a woman shall leave her home, and the two shall become one. They shall cleave with each other, man and woman, in the beautiful picture of marriage. Yes. Now, if that's not enough for us this morning, let me remind us, too, that marriage... Again, from the very beginning, God is doing so, so many wonderful things when we look in the scripture. Marriage between a man and a woman is a picture of Christ and the church. And in Revelation, Christ and the church, or I can say church this way, and his bride. And so when we dilute or when we vary away from this design from Genesis, we're also taking away his design and his plan that will happen in Revelation. 
God's design for man and woman to come together to be one. God's desire for Christ and the church to come together or his bride to come together and be one. It's a picture of all of those things and it's God's design from the very beginning. May we speak the truth in love. Amen? May we speak the truth without compromising but with great compassion in this society in which we live. Satan has brought confusion in this area. Satan has brought confusion in many other areas. Satan has messed up a lot of good people. Many good people are messed up by his deception. And the Bible tells us that Satan, the devil, is the author, the writer, the originator of confusion. There is a lot of confusion in our world today. There is a lot of confusion among young people. There's a lot of confusion in the younger generations and even even spreading throughout all of society. There's a lot of confusion and, and Satan is behind all of that. He is the author of confusion. He's the father of lies. Satan plays for keeps, doesn't he? You ever played a board game with your children or your grandchildren? When I play a board game with my children or grandchildren, I play to win. Sometimes my wife will say, why don't you just let them win? No. Oh, my goodness. Why would I do that? I play for keeps. Sometimes I cheat. (laughs) Don't tell my wife that. Take that Monopoly money and slide it under the board. (laughs) No, we shouldn't cheat. We shouldn't cheat but I have before on Monopoly. <laughs> I play for keeps. I play for keeps. That's silly and funny, but the enemy plays for keeps too. And he doesn't care who he takes out. He doesn't care what marriage he ruins. He doesn't care what family he pulls apart. He plays for keeps. And let me tell you, bondage is real. Bondage is real. Addiction is real. And as much as we can as a church, may we pray for our children. May we pray for our grandchildren. May we pray for our great-grandchildren. May we do all we can to build a hedge around them and anybody in this community that will allow us to help them, to keep them away from taking that first drink or taking that first drug or whatever it might be. You know, bondage wouldn't start if that first step wasn't taken. And may we do all we can to to lead others away from those things before they even get there. But those that are in bondage need to hear the love of the gospel that Jesus Christ loves them and can deliver them. And he who the Son sets free is still free indeed. And that's the message of hope. There, There are many that are confused and because of that confusion now they're in bondage or they're in addiction to sins and things that the enemy has a stranglehold on them. And I say, let's not play around as a church, but let's pray around. Not play around, but let's pray around. And let's stay rooted and grounded in the Word of God. Can I say that nobody will get free, at least from this ministry here at Nortonsville Church of God, unless we stay true to the Word of God. And it's so, such a, such a um, push now, such an influence now to water down the word and to compromise the word. And we seem, sometimes it feels like we're getting backed into a corner and we just can't speak about any of these things. But we can't be intimidated. If we don't declare the word of God, the captive will not come free. 
If we don't preach the truth of the gospel, then the sinner won't be saved and the bonded. And so we have to preach the truth in love and be consistent and not compromise and explain what the word of God means. We can't be playing around. We need to be praying around. It's easy to play around, though, isn't it? It's easy to play around. I I mean, you know, we could preach about folks that have any number of things that they would rather do than really be devoted to church and to God. We could talk about that. But we could also talk about those of us that are at church every time the doors are open. Is it possible that we could just get in a routine and it just becomes a routine to us or it just becomes something that checks a box for us or it just becomes something that even fulfills us but we can't play around with church. We need to come back to the seriousness of the matter. Somebody say amen. There's hope. There's hope. If I could say it this way, we need to tell the devil to get his ugly finger out of our spaghetti. Right? The devil's messed up too many things. He's messed up too many good people. He's messed up too many good people in this community. And I think we need to say, devil, in the name of Jesus, get your ugly finger out of our spaghetti. Get your finger out of, quit messing around. Here's the hope in all this. We've kind of defined the beginning. We've defined reality. Here's, Here's the hope in all of this. We talked about Adam, right, being created. But I thank God this morning there is a second Adam. When you read the scriptures, there is a second Adam. The first Adam sinned and brought the curse upon this world. But there is a second Adam. You say, Pastor Greg, who is the second Adam that the scriptures talk about? It's the Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And you see this message of hope of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ was given right in the middle of when God was defining the curse. If you go back and read in Genesis chapter 3 and before and after and you read, you can read all of that in your private time if you wanted to, but you would see where God was defining the curse that sin had brought upon the world. But right in the middle was this verse right here, Genesis 3.15. And I, God, will put enmity between you and the woman, talking to the serpent right there, And between your seed and her seed, he, and that's Christ. It's easy to miss this, but that is Christ. Christ shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. He's saying that the curse of sin is nipping at everybody's heels. It's messing everything up. It's it's, it's just frustrating everybody. and, And it's caused my design and my plan to not be what it ought to be. And I'm defining all of this curse here in chapter 3 but I want to put a little phrase right in the middle of all of that so that Pastor Greg can remind his church in 2022 there's still a savior Jesus Christ who shall bruise the head of Satan the sin curse will be defeated by Jesus Christ right there in the midst of all the failure and in the midst of all the faults and all the curse God is reminding us he's telling us it's the first prophecy in all of scripture The first prophecy in all of scripture. And God is saying, I will send Jesus Christ to come and die on an old rugged cross to pay the sin debt for all of humanity. I will crush devil. I will crush your head. 
Can I remind us this morning that we're in this world, we're surrounded by the curse of this world, but this little scripture tells me I can live victorious through Jesus Christ in the midst of all of this. I don't have to fall prey to the agendas of the day. I don't have to fall prey to the temptations of the sin that is running rampant. I don't have to embrace the compromise that is around me. But I can say I will live for Jesus Christ because I know that he died for me and rose again. Do you believe he died for you this morning? Do you believe he rose again? Do you believe he's coming again? And so in the midst of all the curse of sin, we hold on to those things. We hold on to the hope of our salvation. It is a message of hope that is in the midst of the curse. Let me, in closing, personalize it just a little bit more. Romans 16 and 20. Romans 16 and 20. I want to give you this verse. I want you to get it in your mind, your heart, your spirit this morning. I want you to to pray it when we pray the benediction, so to speak. And the God of peace will crush Satan under your feet shortly. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. So be it. Amen. The God of what? Peace. If you don't know Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior... Today, you can ask him to come into your heart and into your life, and you can have his what? Peace. For those of us today that say, Pastor Greg, I know Jesus Christ as my personal Lord and Savior, but I feel the enemy, like that prophecy said, nipping at my heels. I feel the curse of sin. I feel the struggle of living in this fallen world, and sometimes it pulls me down. Sometimes it gets me down. Sometimes emotionally, I'm having a hard time dealing with with what's going on. But right here, the God of what? Peace. I want to tell you, there's peace for you this morning. There's peace for you this morning. There's peace with God. There's peace through Christ. There's peace with yourself. You can make peace with your past. You can have peace in your present. And you can have peace knowing that God has your future. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with you. What did he say? Amen. So be it. Let it happen. He's saying here, I've got grace for you. I've got peace for you. For you, He's saying, I'm going to crush Satan under your feet. And it's not going to be that much longer. And then he ended that with the word, amen. So be it. And you say, well, pastor, I have struggled with this for so long. Or this situation has gone on for so long. And I, but you know, even on this side of eternity, in God's mind, it's not but just a little bit of time. Life is just a vapor in and of itself. Let me give you a little hope this morning. The God of peace will crush Satan under your feet shortly. Today... Is not the day to give up. Today is not the day to give in. Today is not today to say, I'm going to let all of this discouragement, all of this temptation, all of this pressure, whatever it is, I'm going to let it cause me sit down and I'm done with all this. Today's not the day to do that because the God of peace will crush Satan under your feet shortly. Let me say it very theologically hang in there, baby. Hang in there, baby. (laughs) The God of peace. Would you stand with me this morning? I want us to pray that scripture. I I want you to just let that scripture come alive in your heart, in your mind, through and by the power of the Holy Spirit, through and by the word of God that's powerful in and of itself. 
Can we just pray this scripture this morning? Can we just, just, just pray with me? Lord, Lord, give us peace. God, remind us that you are the God of peace. Declare it this morning. Say, say it out of, you know, pray it, but if you, if you feel comfortable, say it out of, your, out of your mouth. There's something powerful about declaring things. God, you are the God of peace. God, I believe your word. I know that you said I will crush Satan under my feet shortly. Personalize it this morning. Under my feet shortly. Under the feet of my family shortly. All of these things, Lord, that have come against me, you are the God of peace. Peace from my past. Peace in my present. Peace towards my future. And I'm trusting you, Lord, this morning that you're going to come through. You always have, and you're going to crush the enemy under my feet. And in the meanwhile, I'm living in the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. As you have declared in this scripture that the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ is with me. Lord, I know that the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ is with some of my friends and I, I know it's with some of my family and I, I know it's with some of my church people. But Lord, I remind myself your grace is with me. Your peace is with me. And Lord, before we leave this house this morning, let everybody be able to say, so be it. Let everybody be able to say, amen and amen that we claim and we accept and we stand in the peace and the grace of God as individuals this morning, the peace and the grace of God as individuals this morning. Let it get in your mind today. Let it get into your heart this morning. Let it get into your spirit today. Leave here with a renewed peace. Leave here with a renewed reminder of the grace of God. God's grace is with you. God's peace is with you. If God be for us, who can be against us. God, we pray all these things in your name, in Jesus' name. We proclaim all these things in your name. And Lord, we just stand on the power of your word because your word speaks for itself. Your word speaks for itself. As you pray this morning, as you proclaim this morning, as you grab a hold of this scripture today, as you remind yourself of his grace and his peace, this altar is open if you need prayer. If you need to come and accept the Lord as your personal Savior, if you need to come and stand in for somebody, this altar is open. This altar is always open for prayer. But claim this word today. Pray this word today. Let the Holy Spirit put the exclamation point in your heart and in your mind. The grace of God. The peace of God. The grace of God. The peace of God. The grace of God. The peace of God. And the promise is He will crush Satan under your feet shortly. Shortly. Keep praying this morning. Keep seeking the Lord. Keep praising the Lord. And let the Lord touch you today.